let me let's let's go ahead and start and if we get the pictures going we get them going if not I'll just hold forth without help of pictures here I want to bring to you today a story from 1 Samuel and of course that's many many centuries old now but it's also a funny story you know sometimes we get so used to these stories in the Bible we lose the humor in them and this is an exceedingly funny story and it's a prophetic story because it described what happened and it looked forward to what would happen with Jesus and in fact we're looking at this story from 1 Samuel 16 and it actually looks forward to how Jesus did leaders how he chose the leaders that he would train up and it looks forward all the way to Hope Church and what the Lord is doing with leaders here and uh, we are wanting to do this as a way of looking to what God is doing in raising up elders and deacons this weekend. And as we do, I think there's a word here for all of us, not just for elders and deacons. All right, let's pray before we read. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the spirit who inspired it and for the spirit who comes to inspire us with understanding and with courage to respond. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 1 Samuel 16, beginning at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, and go to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. You shall anoint for me, The one I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. When Jesse and his sons came, Samuel looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. Now, anybody Notre Dame fan here? Actually, that's a good thing. I'm not a Notre Dame fan myself. But you can't be a football fan in America without knowing about Notre Dame. And some years ago, 25 years ago, there was a Notre Dame player that became pretty famous, a guy named Rudy Rudiger. And his story got popularized. Actually, it was 25 years ago that his story got popularized. The story's about 40 years old. Uh, Rudy grew up Catholic in the Midwest. So if you grew up Catholic in the Midwest, that by 
automatic by definition means you're a Notre Dame fan. And he dreamed of playing for Notre Dame. But here was the problem. Rudy grew to be, be all of five foot six and weighed about 165 pounds. And the Fighting Irish are this blue chip football team, so the ball players for Notre Dame are about a foot taller and 100 pounds heavier than little Rudy was. But he wanted to be a player for Notre Dame. And so he managed to enroll in Notre Dame, and he went out for the ball team. And the coaches saw something in this little guy. They, it won size, and it won really even agility, but it was heart. This was a kid that had a heart, and they kind of lifted up everyone around him. So, so when he was on the field, it's like everybody came alive with, with little Rudy there. So they put him on the practice squad, which was sort of, you know, the guys that couldn't quite make the team, but they got to practice with the team. And they came to the end of the season. This was 1975, so what, 45 years ago? And uh, Notre Dame was playing Georgia Tech, and it was the end of the game, and Coach Devine decided to put Rudy in. And of course, this was his dream come true. So he put him on the defensive line, across from this gigantic blocker, and somehow he got around this guy and actually tackled the Georgia Tech quarterback. And his teammates went wild. They, as the game was over, they carried him off the field on their shoulders, and they were so excited. So they made a movie about this guy, this little guy who was on the practice squad for Notre Dame. Why would they do that? Well, it's because we love stories about people with heart. And Rudy had heart. We like these little guy does well stories because honestly, a lot of the time, that's about how we feel. We feel like little guys in a world that's very challenging. And so when one of them does well, well, we like that story because we'd like to think that maybe we would do well too. Maybe we too could have heart. Now there's... That's, I think that's one of the reasons we like David's story. David was a little guy who didn't really stand a chance against a giant guy named Goliath. Goliath was kind of a freak. He was nine feet tall. And, you know, a good three feet taller than even the tallest of the people of Israel. And he was the champion shoulder of the soldier of the Philistine army, which was attacking Israel. The custom was that rather than whole armies engaging, they would send out their champion. So the Philistines would send out their champion, and the people of Israel would send out their champion, and these two would fight man to man, and whoever was the winner would be uh, declared the, the winning army. So Goliath would walk out in front of the army of Israel. They're lined up on one side of the valley, and the Philistines are lined up on the other side, and Goliath would walk out into the middle of the valley, and he would uh, challenge the people of Israel and trash talk them. Think it's going to work? Okay, let's see. I'd love for you to see this picture if it actually works. Uh, there we go. 
Maybe that'll work. You know, the electrons run clockwise in Virginia. I think they run counterclockwise <laughs> here, here in Maryland. That may be the problem. So anyway, Goliath would come out, and he would challenge them, and uh, they would hear Goliath mocking them. He would come out, and he'd, he'd mock their, their families. He'd mock their masculinity, and you know how trash talk works before a ball game. Well, they were doing some trash talking, but this guy's nine feet tall. He's got a sword and a spear, and who wants to go take him on? Well, nobody wanted to go take him on. I think we better just forget the, the pictures here because they're going in and out. Okay, sorry about that, guys. All right. Uh, so anyway, Jesse had been sent up to the front by his dad. I, I mean, David had been sent up to the front by his dad, Jesse, to take some food to his brothers who were soldiers in the army. David's this youngest of the family, the runt of the litter, and he goes up, he's, 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 not a, he's not a soldier, he's never done anything other than shepherd sheep, and he brings the food to his brothers, and he hears Goliath challenging the, the armies of Israel, and he takes offense, because he sees it as a challenge to the Lord God himself, and he sees that no one is going to take on Goliath, so he decides he's going to take on Goliath, and he does what he does best as a shepherd. He gets five stones. He's got a sling attached to his belt. He takes his sling and his five stones. He goes to face this giant man with a spear and a sword. And all he needed actually was one stone because he nailed him right in the forehead with, with his stone. And down he went. David didn't have size. He didn't have any importance. But he had heart, and he had courage, and he went and took on Goliath. We love this story, don't we? Everybody knows the story of David and Goliath. Even people who don't know the Bible know the basic story of David and Goliath. And it's because we love these little guy does well stories. And if you remember how this worked in the Old Testament, David wasn't the first king. Saul was the first king. And when Saul was chosen, he looked like a king was expected to look. He was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He was good looking. And Samuel was the prophet then, and the Lord told Samuel, it's time to pick a king. So here's this handsome young man, and the Lord says, yeah, him. And Samuel says, wow, well, he looks like a king. That must be right. So when the Lord told Samuel to go pick Saul's successor, Samuel goes with this perfect physical specimen in mind, like Saul had been. And so he goes to find the next king, and he's expecting to see one sort of like Saul. The Lord directs him to Jesse's family at, near Bethlehem, and, said, and, and Samuel said to Jesse, let me see your sons. Well, of course, every dad's proud of his sons. And Jesse had eight sons, but no one was thinking about the eighth, including Jesse. He brought out the seven sons, and these seven sons were fine-looking guys, kind of like, I don't know, when you see the lineup for NFL Draft Day, all the biggest, best-looking, most athletic guys, that's how Jesse's family looked. 
So he's got these seven sons that look just like prime pick for a potential king. And he finally settles on, or, or he, he sees each one. Jesse brings out the oldest and then the next and the next. And each one looks like it could be. But Samuel knew enough not to let his own eye decide. He's given his ear to the Lord so that the Lord could say, not that one, but this one. Now, this is getting awkward because proud Jesse is bringing out each one of his sons. And each time, Samuel has to say, no, not that one. No, not that one. No, not that one. And they're looking down the line here and saying, how many times is he going to say this? And he gets all the way to the end. And it's very awkward, and he says, well, no, not that one either. And then just sort of out of the blue, he says, do you have any other sons? And the Lord explained to Samuel what he was doing. He said, you may choose by outward appearance, by good looks and height, but that's not how I choose. I choose by the heart, which is how Jesus chose as well. Fast forward 1,000 years, and you've got David's greater son, Jesus the Messiah, who comes and chooses people that he wants to form as leaders, chooses his disciples. And he could certainly have chosen the best and the brightest, like he could have chosen someone from the Sadducees. They were well-studied. They had good reputation as religious leaders. He could have chosen them. They looked like they fit the part. He could have chosen Pharisees. These were what you might call highly trained religious athletes, scriptural all-stars, and they had huge parts of the Old Testament committed to memory. They were highly disciplined, and Jesus didn't choose them either. He knew they weren't right. So think back to the New Testament stories. Whom did Jesus choose? Well, he chose some backwater fishermen and a tax collector with a bad reputation and a political radical, and a bunch of nobodies. Why? Because Jesus was working the same plan that the Lord had worked with David a thousand years before. Jesus wasn't focused on the outward appearance. He was focused on the heart. And he knew the hearts of those he chose, and he knew that the heart is where the advance of the kingdom begins. So that's how he chose. Now, you may have noticed that if you know how the story ends, you see the beginning of the story differently. That's how it was with Rudy's story. If you, if you know how the story ends, and you see the beginning of the story where this little guy walks onto the practice field, then you, you immediately think, oh, that guy's got heart. Look, he'll go into anything. But if you don't know how the story ends, and you're on the Notre Dame team and the coaching staff, and you see this little guy walk out onto the field, you're thinking, what's he doing here? Who's he think he is? Well, that's kind of how it worked with David. We know where the story goes. We know that this is King David. And so when we go back to the beginning of the story, and we see that Jesse goes and finds the, the shepherd son of his that he's actually forgotten about, and brings him out, we think, oh, this is cool. This is the little guy who, who, who makes well. But that's not how it looked at the moment. It looked like Samuel the prophet is crazy to rely on this little guy, the shepherd, 
when all the big and obvious guys were being passed over. Now, the Lord has already brought some leaders here. Pastor Q and Mimi, and when the search teams were considering who should be called as pastor, they had in mind the people that they thought would be ideal pastors. And they began talking to folks and praying and determining who the Lord would have be here. And they found some good ones in Q and Mimi. Same thing with the teams that were looking for elders and deacons. They, they had in mind who, who those people would be. And they had certain traits in mind, kind of like those that you pull out of 1 Timothy. You read 1 Timothy about the trade of Christian leaders, and those were the sorts of things that they had in mind. And with all of that in mind, they, they set out to find exactly the ones that the Lord was choosing. But here's the deal. They were attuned to the voice of the Lord. So the Lord was at work to have the right ones, when asked, say yes as they were invited to serve. And the Lord was faithful. And so he's done here at Hope Church what he did in the time of David, what he did with Jesus' disciples. He's brought to the fore the people of his choosing for this time and this place. And I've got my own experience of that. I told the elders and deacons about this yesterday, I guess it was, that uh, when I was pastoring in Atlanta and had been there, uh, I guess, nine years then, and one night the Lord woke me up in the night talking to me about St. Giles Church in Richmond. And I wasn't sure at first, was that the Lord or I had no idea. And I prayed about it a couple days and finally decided, yeah, that was the Lord. Then I talked to my wife and she prayed about it and thought, yeah, I think that was the Lord. So I sent my name to St. Giles Church and they'd actually been looking for a pastor for three years at that point. I wasn't looking to go anywhere, but the Lord was looking for me to go somewhere. And he got me connected to them and six months later, there I was as pastor. The Lord had a plan and he guided and I was called there. Now, it worked the same way with those who are being ordained and installed as elders and deacons today. The Lord had his way of getting them to this place where he could appoint them to this role. He saw something in them that they may not have seen in themselves and has called them into this place. God had been preparing their hearts just as he prepared David's heart. Now, if you know the larger story of David, you know that David's heart was not exactly pristine. No one's is, David included. David had virtues and vices. He was a man of his era, which meant that he was a king in the Iron Age. And if he was a king in the Iron Age, that meant he was a warrior, and he was a warrior. David killed people, lots of people, and it was brutal. And I don't know if he was any more brutal than other warriors in his day, but it was a brutal day, and he fit right in. And he led the army. And as an Iron Age king, he also had lots of wives and lots of concubines. And no one was talking about me, too. Women had virtually no rights. And David was a man of his era. Case in point, Bathsheba. 
He looks down from his tower. He sees this beautiful woman bathing on a rooftop nearby. And he's the king, and he sends for her, and of course she's brought. And he has his way with her, and he has her husband killed. And it was brutal, and it was wrong. No one who knew how life worked in that day was surprised because that's how it worked. And the Lord certainly wasn't surprised. The Lord knew who he was getting when he chose David. He knew his heart. He knew that David was not a perfect specimen. So what is the Lord looking for? If he's not looking for someone who's perfect, what's he looking for? Well, he's looking for more than spunk and courage, and he's looking for more than virtue, and he's looking for more than just a clean record, a perfectly clean record. The Lord is looking for a heart he can work with, which is what he found in David. And back when, if you remember the story, back when King Saul was failing, and the Lord finally decided, I'm going to get a replacement, he, he put it this way. He said, I'm going to find a man after my own heart. And for all of his faults, David was that man. David had a heart that God could work with, and it showed up in some interesting ways. David loved to worship. He, got, he understood worship. He, he knew that it was more than just priests offering sacrifices. He, he danced before the Lord with all his might. No kings did that, but David did. And he created a team of priests who would praise God 24-7. No one had ever done that. All the time there was praise going up in Israel once David was calling those shots. He wrote dozens of praise songs that were so profound they've been included in the Old Testament as the Psalms. And 3,000 years later, they still carry our hearts into the presence of God. Such was David's understanding of worship. The Lord could see that in his heart. He could, he could see what was forming there. He could see that he could, he could shape this heart. And so he chose him for that role. Now, who better to lead in the church than people who have hearts that God can work with? Which is what you have in the pastors and the elders here. Not someone with perfect hearts. I mean, I... Hugh and Mimi are my heroes, but I don't think they're perfect. And I believe the same is true of your elders and your deacons. People of virtue, but they're not perfect people. But they're people who have hearts that God can work with. And they're the right ones to lead God's people because of that. You see, you're a people who are in process. So who better to lead you than people who are in process? You're people who are growing in Jesus. So who better to lead you than people who are growing in in Jesus. And those are the ones that God has provided for your leaders in this time and place. So, back to the story of David being anointed to lead. Samuel runs through the seven sons that Jesse thought about and says, is there any other? Uh, Jesse says, yeah, well, there's one, but he's the run of the litter, and all he's ever done is shepherd sheep. And Samuel says, bring him. And the Lord, who'd seen David's heart, said, this is the one. Rise and anoint him. And the Lord wanted to 
do something more than just recognize his heart. He wanted to add something to David's heart. And so we read in verse 13 of this passage, As Samuel anointed David, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him from that day forth. So David's heart was one that the Lord could work with, but he wanted to add something to the, David's heart, namely his presence and his power. So think how this worked in David's life. David was gifted. He could sling a stone. He could hit a bullseye, or when necessary, he could hit between Goliath's eyes with a stone. But I tell you, I believe it was more than just the talent of David that put that stone between Goliath's eyes. That was the power of God on David, taking the talent that David had and elevating it to what was beyond David. David was a shepherd of sheep who became a shepherd of a kingdom, and that kingdom grew bigger than the kingdom had ever been. So David had talent. You don't, you don't do that without talent, but it was beyond David's talent. God had empowered him through the Holy Spirit to be more than he'd been before. David was a singer. He played the harp. He sang. But you don't write worship songs that last 3,000 years just out of what's in your own heart. It comes by the power of the Spirit upon us, as it had come upon David. So read, read your Old Testament. The Lord does this over and over and over again with the prophets and the kings of Israel. He, he puts His Spirit upon them and, and enables them to do what was more than what was in their own hearts to do. And toward the end of that Old Testament era, the Lord inspired the prophet Joel to describe how the Lord would do this in a new day. And Joel gave this word, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And the day that Joel prophesied came true 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus on Pentecost Day. You remember the story. These leaders that Jesus had selected because he saw their heart. Now the Lord was ready to add something to their hearts. And he poured his spirit into them and, and they became much more than they had ever been before. Now if that's so, for the people of God and for the church, it is certainly so for these deacons and elders. We're going to pray for them in a few minutes. And the Lord's going to enable them to do what He's called them to do in this next season. If, if they bring off, as leaders in this church, what they can do naturally themselves, they will have fallen short of what God's called them to do. Because He's called them to do more than they can bring off on their own. That's all right. Because He's equipping them with His Holy Spirit to do more than what they could do on their own. I am seeing some neat things happen at St. Giles, far, far more than ever could have happened with the folks who are there. And I'm seeing the kind of things that are happening here at Hope Church, and I know that it's more, talented as you are, it's more than you can bring off on your own. And, in fact, the Lord has much more for you to do. Y'all have, y'all are in a really good place. 
you've got pastors who are talented and filled with the Spirit. And you've got elders and deacons who are talented and filled with the Spirit. And you're adding to their number today elders and deacons that the Lord intends to fill with the Spirit. And when we pray for them, I believe the Spirit's going to fall afresh upon them. And, I don't know, I'm guessing on the second row, third row, maybe all the way to the back, Spirit's presence is just going to splash over on everybody. Because His intention is that you be and do for Jesus more than you can be and do on your own. He has seen your hearts. He knows that you have hearts that He can work with. But He wants to add something to those hearts. The presence and power of His Spirit. Because what He's called you to do is to be the carriers of the presence of Jesus in this world. Which is more than you can bring off. Thanks be to God. Now let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for enabling us to live in the way of Jesus. What a high calling, a high honor. We're in over our heads. We give thanks that you have equipped us through the presence and power of your spirit to be all that you've called us to be. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.